All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to an- another episode of the Heart of Flesh podcast. Uh, unfortunately, Joshua is gone uh, again today. He's become increasingly unreliable to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have another guest here. Um, after I called about five or six people, I finally got one to answer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, I, I have my friend James Kayser here. James, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, my name's James Kayser, Sinner Saved by Grace. That's all you guys need to know about me. <laughs> yeah, so many of you guys, you know, if you guys are Bison football fans, you probably know James. Come on, man. He, he's a linebacker. Um, I got to play with him for a little while. Good friend of mine. Uh, both of us kind of had a similar uh, journey to faith in Christ in college, and we're able to um, encourage each other. We spent a lot of time uh, on airplane rides or, or on the sidelines during practice or uh, sometimes games talking about what we're going to talk about today, uh, which is theology, um, understanding God's word, how to read it, and those kind of things. So I'm glad that James is here to join. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a recap about kind of the stuff we've been going through. I think James has been listening to most of them, so he should be pretty caught yep, up, right? avid listener. <laughs> Faithful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in this series, we kind of started by um, going through some of the attributes of the Bible, uh, we, we talked a bit about, you know, the, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. We talked about the, the role that Scripture plays in our lives, the, the necessity f- for us to read Scripture. Mm-hmm. And now we've kind of gone off of that. We've gone into a little series on, like, in interpretation, how to interpret and understand the Bible. Uh, we talked about, um, first of all, we talked about literary um, context. We talked about genre of books. Uh, we talked about historical context, how that helps us. We talked about how Jesus is the center of the Bible, uh, how he talks about how the, the whole Bible in some way and in some fashion is about him. Um, we talked in our last episode about, about biblical typology, how, uh, you know, especially as we look at from Old Testament to New Testament, how certain characters, events, and institutions uh, in, in the Bible prophetically point to to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, like almost to, everything. Yeah, essentially <laughs> almost everything. Uh, or, or to other events, institutions. Yeah. Um, like, like you know, the Old Testament sacrifice points to uh, the true sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Kind of the idea. So, <coughs> well, and, and, and often how how those those are fulfilled in Jesus and escalated in Jesus. Jesus, yep. they're, they're ramped up, so to speak. So, so we say that Jesus is the true and the better Adam, he's the true and better Moses, uh, the true and better Israel, true and better sacrifice, true and better high priest, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So he, he's the fulfillment and also an, an escalation of it. So today, um, building on all of that, what we're going to talk about is uh, approaching the Bible theologically. Okay, So approaching the Bible with a theological framework that we get from the Bible itself. So, you know, we, we use the word theology a lot. Uh, it, it's really simple. Theology just means the study of God and, and practically, you know, what that looks like. We, we all have this notion of God, some idea, some concept of God. Uh, we know that there is a God. Uh, some people will deny that. Um, but the Bible says they're suppressing the truth about God that they know in unrighteousness. God is obvious in creation. When, when we look at the world, we it becomes obvious to us that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Now, when we do theology, uh, the second that we begin to ask questions like, what is God like? How does God relate to humanity? What does God desire from us? 
as soon as we ask those questions and formulate answers to them, we are doing theology, right? We are <coughs> studying God and, and what it means for us, what it means for our lives. We're studying who God is, what he's like, all of those things. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the importance of doing this is, is really obvious. You know, you know it, who is God and what is God like is the most important question in human history. Yep always and in every place that's that's the most important question to answer that is the foundation of of all of our of all of our thinking of all the wisdom we can have everything that we know must come from that starting point right like the bible says that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom so so when we're doing theology it also extends basically to every every part of our life because the, our doctrine of god has implications on our lives and the Bible helps us to answer this question of who is God and what God is like. Yeah, and it's important too. Like we talked a little bit about it earlier. Like you study what you what you love. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sometimes in college you study what you have to study, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, typically you you study what you love and you spend time on it. I mean, I think of like studying football, for example. We spend so much time. Mm-hmm. studying how to play football, what it's like, what are the rules, how do we beat this other team, yeah. um, and spending all that time. And if we're Christians, we should be doing the same thing, even more so with God, yeah. and studying Him and who He is. And I think, share that example you had about um, just your wife. Yeah, so so this is kind of an illustration of, of why theology is important. Um, w- one example, so... <coughs> it's important that we that we know god from from what the bible reveals about god right so for example just to show that the importance of theology uh it's often kind of used in this way and in the bible god god uses like this imagery like like he is a faithful spouse to us like he's a faithful husband to his people like mm-hmm. like that helps us understand his character and his faithfulness well um as we think about theology you know i, I could think about this in 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 my relationship to my wife James, your wife as well. It's one thing for me to say that I love my wife, right? I can tell my wife that I love her. I can tell other people that I love my wife. But eventually my wife is going to ask me (laughs) this question. She's going to say, what do you love about me? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is a whole nother thing than just me saying I love my wife. Then I get into describing or showing to my wife what it is that I love about her. Um, some of her attributes, her characteristics, those things. And in the same way, in a much greater way, uh, we are to love God and to know things about God. It's, it's not just to say that we love God. We can do that uh, without actually doing it. Mm-hmm. But if we begin to understand who God is, what his attributes are like, those kind of things, uh, we're, we're doing theology. And, and all of our theology should lead us to a greater love of God. Yeah, And it's a form of worship, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one thing that that the Bible reveals about God is that God is is jealous for our hearts and for our worship. Mm-hmm. Not not in a, a petty jealousy in the way that we think about it, but but a proper jealousy. Um, again, an example like like you would find in a marriage. Like I would be properly and righteously jealous uh, for my wife if she was, um, you know, I- being unfaithful in some way. Yeah. Like I would have a proper and a righteous jealousy. And in the same way, God made us, he made us to know him, made us to be with him, and made us to have fullness, fullness of joy in his presence. You know, the Westminster Confession, that, that, that question, 
what is the chief end of man? We were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. That is kind of our, our purpose. And God is jealous for our affections and, and for, for our worship and for our love. And we were made to that end. And now as we look at our Bible, uh, you know, we, we read the beginning of Genesis. We see that sin and, and the fall of humanity corrupt that and, and bring separation between God and humanity. But Christ has come to bring redemption and restoration by, by taking on our sin on the cross for us. God has sent to us his son and he's given us his word, both of those things, to reveal himself to us so that we may know him, worship him and love him, and that we would be reconciled to him, mm-hmm. right? And, and so when we understand this, when we, when we read God's word, wh- when we understand theology, when we study it and grow in knowledge of it, the effect should be, actually it should be more obedience to the greatest commandment which is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all of your strength. Mm-hmm. When, when we do theology, we're understanding the character of God, and the proper response to that is love and worship for who God is and what he's done for us. That's, that's why theology is important. If we're to love God, then we have to know God, right? If, if, I, if I love my wife, my wife craves love from me, not in, the, not in a way that God does. God doesn't need our love, so to speak. Um, but if my wife craves love for me, she wants to be known by me and loved mm-hmm. both of those things. Uh, so, so when we do theology, we are coming to know God, right? James, do you have anything you want to add to that at all? Uh, just yes. And amen. <laughs> went on a little bit of a, yeah. a tangent there. So, so that's, but that's an intro to why, I mean, theology is important. Yeah. Like we study theology because uh, the, even in the Bible, I'm commanded even even more than I am supposed to love my wife. I'm supposed to love God first, and it's actually that 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 gives me the ability to, to love, love my you. wife. Amen. Yeah. Uh, just a, a simple observation, like I, I look around at human relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Christian friends, and, and I see a lot of non-Christian relationships, and I look around at that. And just for example, husbands, like like a husband that loves God that reads his Bible that that has a theology of marriage from his Bible mm-hmm. is a far in a way much better husband than one who does not yeah uh, in the same way for a wife mm-hmm. like like our theology has effect on every part of our lives yeah and, and especially on human relationships what we believe about God affects so much of the way that we act right so when when we study the Bible uh, we are doing theology and theology is extremely important i hope i hope we've conveyed that point um yeah and i think it's important too like we we hear this term theology and we think of it as some grand big thing which it is because it's a study of god but it's something that we can do and is knowable Mm -hmm. and knowable this isn't just for the theologian it isn't just for the pastor of the church um, or the elders of the church it's for every christian to study and know god and that is theology um, and it's a beautiful thing and we should be doing it. And the way in which you do it is we study his word and we come to know Christ more because he's the full character of God. Yeah. And I mean, I, I you know, in my life, I've especially noticed like I, I look back on before I knew some of the great truths about God that I know now. And I wonder how I used to sleep at night. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like what? Oh, how much I'm, I'm comforted by God's sovereignty. Yeah. How much I'm comforted by by God's the the as we see in scripture, the, the profoundness, the pr- profundity, I should say of God's grace, mm-hmm. his mercy and his character. Um, like, like these things are meant to seep into our hearts 
and, and to comfort us and to affect the way that we live as well. Yeah, I, I'm even just like thinking right now, like before I became a Christian, how did I deal with trials? How did I think about them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> the, like, but, but when, you, you ha- when you have a theology of suffering uh, and, and God's purposes in suffering, yeah, and his sovereignty, it, it cha- yeah, and his sovereignty, it changes totally your entire perspective on, oh man, why is this trial coming my way? And could this, could this actually be uh, a, a blessing in the providence of God that, that a trial is coming my way yeah. to, to shape my character, to make me more like Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when we, when we do theology, it gives us a foundation for how we view God, how we view ourselves, how we view the world and how we live in this world that God has made. Mm-hmm. Okay. Long intro. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so now we want to get into it <laughs> to how this affects the way that we understand and interpret the Bible. Okay. So, uh, we want to talk about having, having a theological approach to reading the Bible. So first of all, the thing we need to understand and know is that the Bible and the books of the Bible come together to form a unified whole. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a bunch of books in the Bible that, that come together to form a unified whole, and each book contributes to the same overarching story. Okay, Different books, different passages, they, they relate to each other and often build off of each other. So, so when we when we study that, there's kind of two categories that we're going to look at in this podcast. The first, um, that idea is called biblical theology. Biblical theology. If you don't remember that, it's okay. But uh, but I want you to understand that the books are related to each other. We cannot take one book, the b- book of the Bible, and interpret it properly unless we see it within the framework of the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to go through some examples of that. And and now the second the second part of theology that we want to talk about when that forms our framework is called systematic theology. So when we look at the Bible, the, like we said, the Bible comes together to form a unified whole and it puts forth consistent and unified teaching about certain things. So, so the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And that means that when we study the Bible, we can find all the relevant passages about a specific topic, uh, bring them together, look at them and, and summarize and get a, a doctrine about something. Mm-hmm. So, so all of these things work together t- to, to give us, to teach us something. So, so we have a doctrine of the atonement. Um, we have a doctrine of, of justification, things like that. The Bible teaches us things about God, that we can have a proper doctrine of God, a proper theology. It teaches about us about humanity. We can have a proper anthropology. Uh, that just means a study of, of man. Mm-hmm. <coughs> what is mankind like? What are we like? Uh, we can uh, we can we can understand what the Bible says about morality, about salvation, about human sexuality, all of these things. Uh, we can summarize biblical teaching and, and put it in a whole. If if you read a confession of faith, for example, we just mentioned the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's that's exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Is they're 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 bringing together relevant passages about a about a subject in the Bible and giving a summary, a a, a doctrine of it. And that, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, the, the Westminster Confession, uh, you know, another one that we talk about a lot is the London Baptist Confession. It doesn't mean that those things are infallible. We don't treat them in the same way as we do the Bible, uh, but those things come out of the Bible. And, and as we, on our own, as we read the Bible and study it, we begin to develop our own framework of biblical theology and systematic theology. Mm-hmm. We, we begin to, to form consistent doctrines um, about things and to see how the books relate to each other. And, and, and this helps us 
it guides our interpretation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because when, when we come across a, you know, a, a strange passage, something that looks a bit, a bit foreign or, or odd to us, our systematic theology and our biblical theology come into play to keep us from getting a, a conclusion from it that contradicts what the rest of the Bible is teaching. So, so one, one principle just behind all this is that when it comes to interpreting Scripture, uh, the rest of Scripture helps us to interpret Scripture. Mm-hmm. It's not contradictory, but it's consistent, forms a unified whole. So, so all of it uh, teaches... Like guardrails. Um, yeah, it's like guardrails, yeah. essentially. You, you can think about it like a railroad. Yeah. Like we're walking down the middle of a railroad, and these things will help to keep us within the tracks. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a helpful analogy. Um, so, and, and as we read the Bible, uh, we begin to form a framework of these things, probably not even consciously. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing to do though, uh, and I would, en- I would encourage this and maybe we'll talk about this a bit later, but is it to actually study, um, there's, there's a lot of authors that, that put together systematic theology books mm-hmm. and kind of do this work and, and help you with it. Uh, there's also, you know, you know, books about biblical theology as well. Uh, those can be really helpful resources. Obviously, don't treat them as, as though they are the Bible. Uh, but in, in general, like we can look at these things and form consistent doctrines, mm-hmm. especially on everything that we need to know. Yeah, I think it's important to uh, like we're talking about the Bible as a whole and how we can use it to interpret other parts of the Bible. Um, but the Bible is also unique in the way that a single verse can bring someone to saving faith, mm-hmm. that someone can read the Gospel of John and that alone, and only have that piece of scripture and come to a saving faith in Christ and know Christ and be in relationship and union with him. And that's the beauty of the Bible. But thankfully, we're in a position where we have the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. We have all 66 books um, and can use it as the framework to interpret itself. Yeah. You even think about, uh, you think about Acts 8 and and the eunuch uh, and and Philip, Mm -hmm. and the eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53, remarkable passage in the Bible. But Philip comes along and explains that to him. And he's got this singular, singular chapter. I mean, he, maybe he has the whole scroll, but he's reading from this chapter mm-hmm. and asking this question about who is this man that's being described? Yeah. And just in that alone, like Philip is able to share the gospel with him to show him uh, the work and the nature of Christ. Uh, and this man in, in the narrative comes to saving faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, so these things, um, you know, these things are aimed not uh, necessarily a necessity, mm-hmm. uh, but these things are aimed to help in biblical interpretation. Yeah. So, so when you come to an obscure passage, you are guarded by a, a proper systematic theology, and you know, as, especially when you read, um, you know, New Testament books, you come across uh, some of the writings and some of the things about Jesus. Oftentimes, that is there's such an Old Testament context there uh, that it helps you to it helps draw out meaning for you. Mm-hmm. It helps you to understand. Um, yeah, that, that's a, a good point. Thank you, James. So <clears throat> I think now we kind of want to move into, we want to discuss those things a little bit, a little bit more deeply, both biblical theology and systematic theology, and maybe give some examples of kind of what those things look like. Uh, so we're going to go through that. We're going to start with biblical theology. Um, so I'm going to give a definition again, quick, okay. and then we'll try to move through some examples. I listed a bunch of them. <laughs> I, I see that. <laughs> yeah, I listed a bunch of them. Uh, we'll see what we get through. Um, we don't want to, you know, talk endlessly, though. Though you really could. 
so when it comes to biblical theology, uh, biblical theology is aimed at answering the question of how this book or this passage in the Bible relates to the rest of the storyline of the Bible, okay? And this is probably a new concept for a lot of people. That's okay. I had no idea what this was uh, a short time ago before I entered into the seminary program that I'm at now. Um, and, and last semester when I started that, we were going through the New Testament, okay? And I had read the New Testament before, uh, more than once actually. And, you know, we, we were given uh, a book to read in it uh, that was called The Story Retold. And the purpose of the book is to give a, a biblical theological introduction to each book of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So each every book of the New Testament, they give uh, a biblical theological overview of the book, describing how it fits into the whole story of the Bible and how the themes that exist within it also fit into that kind of framework. Mm-hmm. So I did that, uh, read this book, and actually as I've come to read the uh, understand the Old Testament a lot better, like you see that the New Testament authors, everything they write is ex- so influenced by what's going on in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It's so influenced by the rest of the Bible. You know, and I always had this kind of tendency, and I think a lot of people do, excuse me, to separate Old Testament from New Testament. Yeah. But, you know, a- as we look at uh, the New Testament, and this becomes clear to us, we see that like, the apostles and the, and the New Testament authors had an extremely deep and rich understanding of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And when they wrote things, so much of the language they used um, and so much of the, the points that they make are related to parts of the Old Testament and reveal to us, uh, you know, th- things like who Jesus is or... Uh, some of our other doctrines like like it is absolutely dripping with old testament influence yeah every single book of the new testament like like it it is not isolated from it but it's arising out of it and actually helps us to understand the previous things that happened in the old testament as well dude i even i can't remember where i was reading this but it it was one of the books i was reading they were talking about evangelizing um, people in china i don't know Mm -hmm. if it was recently or in the past um, but talking about stu- bringing students in and taking a full year, 365 days to teach them the Old Testament alone before mm-hmm. they even entered the New Testament so that yeah. they could understand it better and, and more truly. Yeah. And that's just so important. And I, and I know oftentimes when we're witnessing to people, we encourage them to get to the Gospels um, where Jesus is revealed in the flesh. Mm-hmm. But it's so important. We cannot neglect the Old Testament. Yeah. And I mean, I've only been a Christian for about two and a half years. So my understanding <laughs> of the Bible is, is growing. Not, is yeah. not exhaustive at all. But as the more that I study the old Testament, I've been going through the Pentateuch the last few months and just how it's enriched my understanding of the gospels and the epistles and the whole new Testament as a whole. It's just blessed me abundantly. So I just want to encourage the listeners to, to do that. And yeah. I know it can be uh, cumbersome. The Bible is a big book, but it's so rich. And yeah, it is rich. And one of the things I, you know, it's remarkable. I always walk away from, uh, you know, the, the reading this book or, or going through some of the seminary classes mm-hmm. and how this like actually plays itself out in the Bible. But I always walk away amazed at the richness of God's word. Yeah. And always you're like, wow, amazed. I didn't understand any of the, Yeah. Like the more you learn about the Bible and the more you learn about God and theology, the more you're like, wow, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so deep. And that's a justification for the fact that it's a divine book. Yeah. 
that it's just so yeah. rich. Yeah. And, and so, so all of this, you know, the, the depth to it should not, it certainly should not discourage one from reading it, mm-hmm. um, but actually encourage yeah. and, and know that uh, it's so rich to study. Um, and you can read the Bible five times through. And if you do it again, um, you're going to see new connections, mm-hmm. new points and things like that. So I think let's give a few examples of what biblical theology looks like. All right. uh, so it, it's, it's all over the Bible. Uh, it's very pre- prevalent in the New Testament. It's also prevalent in the Old Testament. I can think of a, f- you know, a few examples um, in the Old Testament. You know, one example is, you know, you see in Exodus 33 or 34 when God reveals himself to Moses uh, and reveals the fullness of the meaning of his name. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God gracious, uh, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And then it's interesting because later in the Old Testament, you see so many authors of the Psalms or, or other places referring to God uh, with that same language. They're mm-hmm. going back to God's prior revelation um, and referring to God in the same way. Or, for example, uh, you know, you see in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, the people wandering in the wilderness. Uh, Moses strikes the rock, gives them water. They're thirsty, complaining. Moses strikes the rock for them, gives them water. God provides water to them. And then so many examples later, you know, we, we see Psalms like, God is my rock and my salvation. Like they're, they're drawing, first of all, they're drawing a theological point from that. But, but then they're building on that and the understanding of that later in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So th- these two things are connected to each other. It should make us think of this past event where God did this awesome work, right? So, so that, that's to say that it's not just a New Testament idea. It's, it's even within the Old Testament itself. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the Pentateuch, so much of the rest of the Old Testament is built on the first five books of the Bible as well. Um, so <coughs> I think to, to illustrate this, kind of uh, a little bit further. There's a lot of places we could go. We're not going to give an exhaustive list, but we're going to give um, hopefully some examples just to help understand this. So as you open the New Testament, the very first verse uh, of the very first book, the, it opens with the book of Matthew. Uh, the, the gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, a Jewish audience with much familiarity with the Old Testament. They, they understand the Old Testament. And it is written with a theological uh, agenda. It is written to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Matthew relies heavily on the Old Testament to do that. It's it's all over his gospel. So much of it is is built and and it arises out of the Old Testament. But but Matthew starts his gospel this way: the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, and then Matthew continues to give a long genealogy. Of I'm gonna go through. I'm not gonna go through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna read them all. <coughs> But it begins with this genealogy. So most of us open to that uh, and we think, oh man, like this is dry. Yeah. Uh, This is, this is boring uh, to some degree. But actually when Matthew does this, he is making a remarkable theological statement, Mm -hmm. Uh, a remarkable theological statement. As we look back at the Old Testament and if we understand the Old Testament, we understand uh, there are massive implications, um, built on the promises that God made to Abraham, uh, which, which eventually would expand to the promises that God made to David, what God was going to do through the descendant of Abraham, what God was going to do through the descendant of David. 
there were these remarkable promises that were, were built on and built on and they grew and grew. And as you read the Old Testament, it's just this building of suspense about this thing that God is going to do. And when Matthew starts his gospel and he opens it this way, you know, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he is making a theological point that Jesus is the promised offspring of Abraham and the promised offspring of David that is going to accomplish the full salvation that all of the Old Testament pointed to. It is a, it is a, a deep and rich theological point that Matthew is making just in this one sentence that we often just skip over and, you know, think is boring. Yeah. And that's so important because like oftentimes when we have, are evangelizing to people, we bring them to the gospels and, and Matthew's the first one to the new Testament. And I always kind of laugh in my head. I'm like, I'm pointing them to Matthew chapter one <laughs> and they're about to open this book. And it, it's the first half is of just a bunch of names that they're yeah. going to have no idea what it's about. And so that shows the importance of why we need biblical theology and an understanding of the old testament yeah. um and to matthew's point here he's proving yeah that jesus is the messiah yeah th- the there's promise. actually there's actually not like there's there's not a more like uh exciting and and theologically packed way that that matthew could open his gospel than by saying this mm-hmm. like the new testament couldn't open in a more like dramatic fashion than for matthew to say these and everyone's very probably words like what do you mean jesus? <laughs> yeah yeah if you weren't weird enough you say something (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but it's funny because you know we 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 sit here uh and oftentimes you know in in 21st century century america we don't have like a a deep theology and understanding of the old testament yeah um and we're not coming to people with that but matthew writes to a jewish audience that has a very deep understanding of the old testament it is a a big part of their culture and he says that and he makes a, a a deep point um so that's that's just okay. That that's one sentence. Uh, like I said, we could we could we could continue to to talk about this a lot. Um, we're we're gonna use the first few chapters uh, of Matthew. We're just gonna go through it briefly. Um, so much of the beginning of Matthew is then to to build on on how this is actually true. So you see in the first, especially the first four chapters, Matthew is quoting the Old Testament all over the place, uh, and essentially what he's doing um, in a few ways is he is recording what what happened in Jesus' life mm-hmm. and, and showing for us uh, s- some things about Jesus' nature uh, and, and what he's come to do. And specifically, there are two examples in, in the first chapters of Matthew um, where, where it shows Jesus as an escalation and a fulfillment of something prior, right? We've talked about that escalation and fulfillment before. Uh, so, so the first one is, is the beginning of Matthew shows for us that Jesus is the true and better Moses. Jesus is the true and better Moses. So things that things that go on in Jesus' life are analogous, or they have a correspondence to uh, things that that happened in Moses' life. But Jesus is um, an escalation and fulfillment of that. Yeah. Would you say it's fairly accurate to say like biblical theology and typology are similar? Are very closely related. Yep. Are, are pretty similar. It's not always typological fulfillment that yeah. happens, but but there's a lot of similarity. So, so first of all, in Matthew's gospel, and we'll go through kind of how this looks, we see about Jesus that he is born under persecution. Uh, there is a death warrant for, for uh, babies um, put in place by Herod, um, reminding the readers uh, of, the, of the same situation in Egypt when Moses was born. Uh, 
Jesus miraculously survives it. Moses survives it as well. Both would end up being the, the leaders of the salvation of the people, essentially. Uh, Jesus goes to Egypt and leaves. Uh, Moses also was in Egypt and leaves in kind of a similar way. Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness preparing for uh, their, their mission to lead God's people, right? Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the law, to give it to the people. Jesus goes up in Matthew 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up on the mountain to teach the law, to correct the, the misinterpretations of the law. So Matthew, in recording these events for us, is making a theological point about Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do. He's the true and better Moses. Mm-hmm. S- but if we if we don't understand that, we, we still read and we understand this, and it's still good for us to read it. It's still the word of God. Yeah. Uh, it, still, it still has power to change and affect our hearts. But when we understand the biblical typology involved, uh, the story of Moses, uh, things like that, it, it, it enriches what's going on for us. We see that Matthew is making a theological point here in, in recording these events, specifically these events that happened in the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The second part that we see, first of all, Jesus is the true and better Moses. He's also the true and better Israel. He's the fulfillment and the escalation of the people of Israel. Just like the people of Israel, Jesus is called out of Egypt. Matthew quotes, um, I think it's in Matthew 3 here, but but he quotes uh, Hosea 11.1 1, describing um, how God says, out of Egypt I have called my son, and he applies this passage to Jesus, mm-hmm. showing that Jesus is the true and better Israel. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness as a period of testing, and they failed even though God gave them bread from heaven and water from the rock. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil as a period of testing similarly, and he had no food and no water. But, but instead uh, of Israel, where they failed the test, Jesus passes the test. Mm-hmm. And in, in the devil, as he's trying to tempt Jesus, Jesus quotes to him a number of passages. One of them is Deuteronomy 8.3, which is right after the uh, Israelites testing in the wilderness. Um, and, and it's a response of how Israel should have been. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. So it's showing Jesus as... Uh, the true and better Israel, the one that obeys God, the one that passes the test, the one that is going to accomplish salvation for his people, to, to truly fulfill the purpose that Israel had in the world, which was to spread the glory of God to the whole world. Jesus is going to be the one that actually fulfills that task. Another way that happens, I- Israel travels through the Jordan to enter the promised land. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, uh, and there he, he identifies uh, with his people, not that he needed to be baptized for forgiveness of sins, but th- that he does so to be identified with the people that he is going to save. So Jesus passes the test. And then just another example of a biblical theology, he starts preaching about the kingdom of God and how it is at hand. Mm-hmm. And that even just that phrase it is an Old Testament uh, concept and an Old Testament out- expectation that the, the kingdom of God is going to come to the earth. And Jesus says he is bringing that, that is wrapped up in all sorts of uh, Old Testament theology and all sorts of expectations. So that's kind of, that's a a short example of how biblical theology shows up in in Matthew. James, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I was just going to say like application wise, you can look at this and be like, how do I come up with all this? Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot here, 
um, even though we went over it briefly. But when you're reading your New Testament, when it quotes the Old Testament, go back to those passages, yeah. look in the footnotes um, of your Bible, see what passages or what book it came from, and go read that chapter and see which context it's coming from, what it means, and it will expand your understanding of the New Testament passage yep. um, that it was in. So I think that's just a practical way to start seeing this in the scriptures and the cohesiveness of the entire Bible is doing that as you're reading the yeah. New Testament. Yeah, and like as we continue to see here, like these are very rich theological points that Matthew is making by including this material. Mm -hmm. Like there is, like like we would read this, like the first time I read this, I'm like, yeah. uh, I don't even know what this <laughs> means. Like yeah. what is going on here? Like why why is it important that Jesus be baptized? Why is it, Yeah. what is this 40 days in the in the wilderness thing that he's doing? Um, what is this temptation of Satan? But it, it's proving theological points built on Old Testament uh, expectations and events and other things. It's Matthew showing that Jesus is the true fulfillment of these things. Yeah. So he's, he's making a theological point. Yeah, another thing with that too is there's people in this world and in the past who have studied the Bible much more than us yeah. <laughs> and who know it much better. And so like, I'm guessing a lot of these things that you found, like you got from somewhere. Yeah, I, have, I have no original thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mean, Hank, I, I we, have no yeah. original thoughts. We always joke um, that we just have no original thoughts. Everything we come to is just regurgitated from someone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some, like, like the church has been as a whole studying the Bible for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's been so much, God, God has raised up brilliant and, and insightful people to understand his scriptures and to teach it well. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to seminary classes uh, and learn from extremely, extremely smart Bible teachers. And then I, I get the privilege of reading my own Bible uh, and, and confirming and seeing these things and how they play out for myself as well. So, so that is something, you know, um, you know, feel, feel free to like take advantage of resources like that, learn yeah. from biblical scholars, but also verify, uh, in your own reading of the yeah. Bible as well. Good point. Okay. So, you know, th that's kind of one example. Uh, this is all over the New Testament. Um, another example, if you read the book of Hebrews, uh, you know, the book of Hebrews, similarly, it's for a Jewish audience um, written in the first century and basically dedicated to explaining how Jesus, like we've talked about, is the fulfillment and escalation of Old Testament characters and institutions. Mm -hmm. it, it is written... At, a lot of people think it was originally written as a sermon, the book of Hebrews, that it was originally written as a sermon intended to convince and persuade that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. Uh, and actually that like for the Jews in that time, um, many of them thinking about going back to Judaism, going back to the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, uh, all of those things showing how those things were nothing in themselves um, but actually pointed to Jesus and are fulfilled in him. So what's important about this, if you read the book of Hebrews, the author is basically assuming that you have a functional knowledge of Moses, of Joshua, of Melchizedek, of the book of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. How many of us have read the book of Leviticus before? <laughs> I, I read it once the first time. I'm reading it again a second time in seminary because it's assigned to me. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> but but seriously, we don't think to read the book of Leviticus. Yeah. But but the author of Hebrews, when we read that, <laughs> he is explaining to us essentially the book of Leviticus, what it's pointing to, mm -hmm. and what it means for us in Christ. It, it, it's it's a massive biblical theology, and, and 
we understand that so much more richly and so much deeper when we understand the book of Leviticus, yeah. seriously. And, and, I, and I was able to read it again for the second time. Uh, and oh my goodness, it, it's so rich. It, it lays so much of the foundation for the gospel, which is yeah. that, you know, God, God is holy, separate from sinners. And, and there needs to be, there needs to be atonement. There needs to be atonement made uh, f- for us to be in God's presence. And the book of Hebrews explains that so deeply for us. But but the, the author of Hebrews is is doing this biblical theology. He's showing us how these things point to Jesus and how he is superior to them. That's essentially the theme yeah. of the entire book of Hebrews is that Jesus, it starts, you know, Jesus is superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. Um, he's superior to the Aaronic priesthood. He, he is our true high priest. Uh, he is the true sacrifice. Yeah, superior to the sacrificial system. Yeah, superior to to uh, the old covenant, to Melchizedek, to Joshua. Um, he gives us the true rest uh, into the true promised land. You know, you know, it, it it it's showing about it's it's literally showing us how to read the Old Testament and what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, so so if you want just an example of biblical theology, read the book of Hebrews and. Yeah. understand what it's what it's teaching about jesus so I, I think one more quick example just on this on this note this is a, an especially prevalent one uh i don't think there's any book in the new testament that <laughs> that uses the old testament more than the book of revelation yeah. and this should guide our interpretation of the book of revelation the book of revelation is not separated from the rest of the bible but so much john does john never says in the book of revelation essentially at any point does he make direct reference? He says, thus it is written, uh, you know, like you see in other places of the mm-hmm. New Testament, then quotes the scripture. But almost everything he says is coming from the Old Testament. You, you know, for example, and these are just a couple. Uh, I, I don't want, I don't want to be here forever. <laughs> right, go off, Hank. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't want to be here forever. I know I always say that, but uh, so, so for example, the plagues in Revelation point any biblical uh theologian back to the plagues in exodus mm-hmm. there are similarities much similarities it points us back to that um you know you know the, the seven golden lampstands the, the lampstand is something that was from the tabernacle in leviticus and exodus things like that it points back to that uh the horsemen point back to to zechariah there's similar uh prophecy in that point uh the beasts uh in revelation i think it's 12 13 14 uh th- that points us back to daniel mm-hmm. uh when John describes the new heavens and the new earth for us, you know, if you read the end of Isaiah, the the language about the new heavens and the new earth is almost identical. Yeah. Like it's clear that like th- this is coming from from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Like John is building off of what Isaiah already said. Uh, there, there's so much like like the new heavens and new earth is not a new idea. Like it's it's all over the place in Isaiah, even with the same words being used. So all over the New Test or all over the New Testament, all over the book of Revelation, there's all of these references back to things happening in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, further explaining them and, and applying them in new ways. And that that affects how we interpret that book, uh, how we interpret Revelation. So just to summarize a bit of that, maybe um, when when we're doing biblical theology, uh, well, when we are reading the New Testament, the Old Testament, things like that, so often it's connected to another part of the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, either language or direct reference. Um, it fits somewhere within the biblical storyline, uh, and it, it likely builds off of an earlier biblical theme. Uh, so there's many ways that it does this. So, so that should be an encouragement to you guys to think about 
think about how this happens um, when you when you read your New Testament. Understand that it's coming out of the Old Testament. It should encourage you to read your Old Testaments as well. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, l- like James, like you said, to, to actually go back and to look at some of those Old Testament references and to see uh, the way that things are happening. So so that's a bit of a... Um, Dude, one, one thing I'm looking up right now. Sorry, I cut you no, off. No, go ahead. Have you ever seen that picture of someone made it of all the cross references yeah, uh, yeah. In, in the Bible. Um, so if you just look up Bible cross reference illustration, I'm looking it up right now. You'll see a picture that looks, I mean, kind of like a rainbow, mm-hmm. but what it is, is it's connecting or it's showing how cohesive and connected the Bible is and how mm-hmm. these verses cross reference one another and go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all throughout the whole Bible. Um, mm-hmm. And it's an awesome illustration of just the cohesiveness of the Bible. Yeah. And you see exactly the point that we're making here. Yeah. Like like so much of the Bible is building off of a prior section. Mm. Uh, and there's so many uh, wonderful cross-references going on. And man, you j- when you look at that picture and, y- and then you study these things, like you get such a rich understanding of the Bible. Uh, and ultimately, like we talked about earlier, leads us to, to praise and worship of God yes. for, for his word Amen. and for his character. Okay, uh, so that's biblical theology. That's kind of a lot. Um, we're we're going to talk, the second part, like we talked about, is systematic theology. Uh, just to give another definition of that, systematic theology is, is the formulation of, of a doctrine in the Bible. Like we talked about, the, the Bible is, is unified. Uh, it makes a complete whole. It doesn't contradict itself. And so when, when we study a subject in the Bible, we can gather the, the, the passages that are relevant to that subject and we can come up with, with, we can summarize them to produce biblical doctrine, right? It's a biblical doctrine. So we know that, um, you know, the Bible teaches one thing, for example, it teaches one thing about justification by faith. We are, we are justified by faith alone in Christ, right? Um, so, so then when we, you know, when, when we, we know that's the case. And when we look through the, through the Bible, like Paul makes that so clear and so obvious and so evident. We see that in Jesus understanding of the gospel. Mm-hmm. We see that all over the Bible. Um, so, th- so this would be an example of systematic theology in action. So we, so we know that doctrine, right? And then that, that specifically uh, can get brought into um, almost, almost a bit of controversy when we look at James 2, mm-hmm. because when we do a cursory reading of James 2, it seems that Paul's doctrine of justification by faith alone, not by works, when we first glance at James 2, it looks like James is teaching something else, mm-hmm. okay? It looks like these two things are contradictory, but we know from, from so clearly what Paul teaches, we know that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We bring that, or, or we understand that, we look at the passage that James, uh, in, in James 2, that, that's relevant. It's, I think it's like James two fourteen through 26. But then, then we look at that, and as we dive deeper into that passage, we see that the two, the two things are not contradicting at all, that they're actually teaching uh, the same doctrine of justification by faith, but they are teaching it from a different perspective, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, not contradicting each other, but teaching from the same perspective or from a different perspective, uh, the same doctrine. Mm-hmm. But, but having our understanding of what the rest of the Bible teaches about that helps to keep us from error in interpreting other biblical passages. You look like you're going to say something. James. Yeah. I was just thinking, so like your past podcasts, um, like systematic theology is another way in which to keep us on the guardrails 
of of truth yeah and not that we can have a full understanding and perfect understanding we can't in this fall in our fallenness but systematic theology can function in a similar way as like hank like context Mm -hmm. audience yeah um right and it It just helps us it helps us to interpret just like just like understanding properly the context uh both literary context and Mm -hmm. historical context that helps us understand what is going on in the passage Mm -hmm. like if if yeah, uh, knowing that Paul is writing this at a certain time to a certain people, like like that helps us not misapply what he's saying. Yeah, you know what I mean. And similarly, systematic theology keeps us from error in this. So so when we look at these two, uh, what what look to be competing views of justification by faith, we see that they're actually similar. They're actually the same, the same doctrine. Mm-hmm. But Paul, first of all. They're using justification in a somewhat different sense, but Paul Paul is clearly talking about um, salvation and and, and justification <coughs> not coming through works, um, but a com- but coming completely by faith alone. the The basis on which we're justified is faith, and yeah, that that's the that's the inherent question. What what are we, how are we saved? Yeah. Is the question that Paul is answering. Okay, well. Paul's answer we are saved by faith not by works but but even in Paul you see that a true faith produces true works uh, a true faith produces good works but in James we're seeing that James is asking a, a very different question um, James you know this whole section starts in James 2:14 when James says what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him so that's an entirely different question that Paul is asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them have works in view, and Paul uh, Paul is arguing against a self-righteous view, saying that works can save. He's saying, no, it is faith alone that saves. And James is arguing against the person that says, I have faith, but then doesn't have any works. Mm-hmm. I- it's different opponents. Yeah, false faith. False faith versus true faith yep. is what James is addressing. Yep. Whereas, it, I mean, you just read it as reiterated this, but Paul is addressing justification before a holy God. Yeah. How, Paul's question is, how am I made right with God? Yeah. Uh, and it's not by works, but it's by faith. And, and James is saying that, um, James is saying that if we have true faith, then it produces works in us. If we have true faith, then it's going to change the way that we live essentially. Yeah. I'm kind of going off rails here, but like, what would you say? Cause I'm just like putting myself, um, as a listener right now, like, what would you say to someone who, who is saying you're just taking your systematic theology and pressing it into the Bible mm-hmm. and making those passages say what you want them to say, what your systematic theology says? Like, what, what would you say to someone who says that to you? Right. Um, well, well, the first thing I would say is when we look at this, we, we find only one example in the whole Bible where uh, like, like in James is the only place where we see the words, you know, justified, uh, not by faith, but by works mm-hmm. also, you know what I mean? That's, that's the only place that we see it in so many of Paul's letters, Romans, uh, Galatians, um, in Ephesians too, like there are entire sections, entire large chunks of scripture that Paul specifically dedicates to making the point that we are saved by faith alone and not by works, like entire sections. So just that alone, uh, then when we come to 
just this one passage in James, which is a part of the book, not the main theme of the book. Yeah. Like like other other parts of Paul's letters, like this is like the main theme that we're saved by justification by faith alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come to this section in James, and we have a, a small portion dedicated to that, but that begins with an entirely different question. Uh, can a person who says they have faith but no works, is that a true faith? That's yeah. really the question. Yeah. So we, we interpret this by looking or, or, or within the framework of what the rest of the Bible teaches. Yep. And we see extremely clear teaching in Paul and in Jesus and in the Gospels the justification is by faith alone and it's not by works. And in the Old Testament as well. Yeah, and in the Old Testament. With Abraham. But yeah, Paul, Paul points back to Abraham. And actually, <coughs> it would be cool if we had more time to get into this passage and, and specifically what's yeah. going on. Um, but, but in both cases, they point back to the Old Testament to prove their point. And, and you know, a, or Paul always goes to Genesis 5, 15, 6, uh, that Abraham is justified by faith alone in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um he always goes back to that and, and says, this is not by works. Uh, and James, actually, he goes back to that as well. Uh, but he goes to Genesis 22 to prove his point where Abraham offers up Isaac displaying his faith. Yeah. And and, and then he says, you know, you, you see that faith was active along with works and faith was completed by works. Mm-hmm. Abraham's faith was completed by his works. So our faith is demonstrated by our works. We're not we're not saved by our works. That's not what James is saying. But our a true faith is demonstrated by works that reflect the faith. Yeah. Amen. And, and that's I didn't what's mean to try on. to get you fired up, but <laughs> <laughs> Hank's sitting up in his chair now. He, his oh, hand man. he's using his hands. <laughs> he's getting excited. But yeah. it's a good point. Our systematic theology comes from the Bible mm-hmm. um, and not an outside source. Yeah. Right. And, and even the, the biblical authors, like we just talked about, like like Paul is teaching this doctrine and he's using the Old Testament to prove it and show it. Yeah. Uh, so so all of this is, is coming from inside the Bible. Yeah. And this has a little bit more to do with interpretation, but it is under the umbrella of systematic theology is we use explicit passages to interpret implicit passages. Yep. So we use passages that say clearly one thing to interpret passages that are more confusing. Yep. Um, if that makes sense. Because we know they can't contradict each other. Yeah, correct. So, so so we take the clear teaching, uh, and when we find something that's unclear, uh, we, we keep the clear teaching in mind, mm-hmm. and, and we seek to understand what the other passage is saying, knowing that it doesn't contradict what the rest of the Bible teaches. Yep. Right? Okay. That's kind of an example. James, you had another example listed. Uh, do you want to run through that one quick? Yeah. Wh- what are we on time? Uh, we're still under an hour. I think we're a little over 45 minutes okay. or so. Sweet. Um, so another example of that is, is from James chapter six, and we were actually John. Or yep, thanks. Yep. At James six. <laughs> don't uh, look for James. Yeah, 6. yeah. Don't look for James six. You won't find it. <laughs> What's that Vody? Uh, what does he say? You, you know what I'm talking about? The Vody Bacham. <clears throat> that video that we watch. He, he says something about like um, James six. Uh, shoot, I can't. I mean, remember. I've heard some jokes like that. Yeah, where someone says that they're quoting a scripture from like, you know, like a James six that doesn't exist. Yeah, or like John twenty two. Yeah, was that like that or what? Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. I can't remember okay. what he was using it for, but it was super funny. Yeah. Um. Anyway, John chapter six, and we were going through this. Um, we have a football Bible study, um, with NDSU football on Thursday nights, and we're going through the Gospel of John. It's been awesome. Um, and we were in John six last night, and so at face value, when we're 
you read John 6, 53 and 54, I'm going to read. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, right away, you're like, I need to eat his flesh and drink his, and this is, if you read, that's pretty much what the Jews were like. I need to do this to have life. Yeah. And, and they ended up walking away from him. But we look at a passage like this and it says, in order to be saved, you must eat Jesus's flesh and drink his blood. Mm-hmm. And using other literary, literary devices, we know that we can't actually eat his flesh and drink his blood, but we can look at previous passages and see that it says we need to believe in him. Mm-hmm. It explicitly says we need to believe in him to have eternal life, to have faith in him, to have eternal life. I yeah. mean, um, so we can look at that passage and then look at this passage and say, yeah. okay, clearly I don't actually need to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink yeah. his blood. Which, it, would be, which would be a work as yeah, well. Yeah, would be a work. It must mean something different right. um, because we know they're not going to contradict. Yeah. So, so often Jesus uses physical realities to dis- to display or to highlight spiritual truths. Yeah. One of them in this case. So, so this... This passage becomes particularly important um, in our understanding of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So what's going on when we take communion? Now, now the Roman Catholic view um, w- would would say that, uh, you know, they believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation so that when the priest says the, th- the, the words, um, the bread and the wine become the actual physical body of Jesus. And mm-hmm. that, you know, they, w- they would interpret this passage as to say that if you do not eat those things, that you have no life in you, that you cannot go to heaven, okay? Now, the, the problem with that interpretation is just like we've talked about uh, with, with this justification by faith versus works idea, mm-hmm. like we have this clear teaching fr- from Jesus elsewhere also, where several times he says like, t- to believe in me mm-hmm. is, is what you need to do to be saved. Um, have true faith and belief in me. Yeah, John, John 6, 47, right before that, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes has eternal life. Right. So whoever believes. Right. Um, and we, we see that in the rest of the Gospels. We see that clearly in Paul's teaching. We see yeah. that in the Old Testament. The justification is by faith. It's not by works. So that it is abundantly and clearly stated. So, so now that helps us to interpret this passage. Mm-hmm. Because if we were to read this passage and deduce, if we were to take this verse out of context and deduce that, okay, I must do uh, partake in the Roman Catholic view of the Eucharist, of communion mm-hmm. in order to be saved, then that would be flatly contradictory to what the rest of the Bible teaches about salvation. Yeah. So, so, so that is just another good example of how we use these guardrails to protect us from wrong interpretation. Yeah. And, and we, we take what the Bible teaches in explicit places and it helps us to interpret implicit passages or less clear ones. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Well, that is um, a good example. That is all we have here. <laughs> Uh, this did end up, I think we kept the time pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we are going to wrap this up. Just an encouragement to you guys. I hope this encouraged you guys to read and study your Bibles, uh, to, to desire, to know God, what greater thing could we do than, than to, to know God, uh, to know what he's like and and to worship him. That is ultimately also, that is the outcome of the saved people of God, that we will exist in, in heaven forever, uh, worshiping and praising God. And we will, we will see God for, for the fullness of who he is. Mm-hmm. That is our eternal destiny. If we have faith in Christ, we might as well get a jump start on it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is where fullness of joy truly is. Yeah. Uh, in knowing God, in beholding the goodness, the glory, 
of God. Uh, so yeah, I should encourage you guys to, to do theology, um, to study theology, uh, a few practical ways. Uh, of course, part of a local church, uh, taking on the teaching of qualified elders mm. uh, is majorly important. Also, just practical ways to do this, buy a study Bible. Yep. Uh, Christmas coming up. You know, if you're a high schooler, ask your parents for a study Bible. Uh, otherwise, buy yourself one. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, read theology books. You know, uh, you know, maybe instead of doing, a, you know, I think there's a lot of devotional books out there that, you know, can be kind of self-centered and, and maybe shallow. Not all of them. Yeah. But but take some time to read a serious theology book. Read read a systematic theology book if if you have one. I suggest um, systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. That that one's really accessible. Uh, it's it's meant for the average Christian. Mm-hmm. There's smaller versions of that. It's kind of a big book, but he makes yeah. smaller versions of that. Um, and and you know re- maybe read biblical commentaries. Those are helpful. Uh, or, or you know buy a, a biblical theological book uh, describing how that works. Mm-hmm. And, and study your Bible. Yeah, I mean, and keep listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, well we're gonna wrap this up before we go on for too long. Well, uh, Thanks James. for having me on. Hey, yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, we'll be back on soon. Yeah, we'll have to get you back on another time. Well, you guys, thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully, you have made it to this part of the podcast. <laughs> and <laughs> haven't turned leave. it off yet. <laughs> uh, but thank you guys for listening. Uh, please come and listen again. God bless you.